Well, this morning I am excited because we're going to jump in, as I said a moment ago, into a brand new series entitled Fight for Your Field. And we're going to spend four weeks talking about spiritual warfare. And today what we really want to do is we want to clarify what are we fighting for. And we want to really understand as believers in Jesus Christ, what are we fighting for and I'm going to explain the title of this message here in just a few minutes, what it really does mean to fight for your field. Uh, starting next Sunday, we're going to spend three weeks after today talking about three ways that Satan attacks us and three ways that God strengthens us to overcome every attack. How many know you're more than a conqueror? Come on, somebody. And you were created to win through the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit that's in Jesus Christ. So we're going to kind of unpackage some pretty basic spiritual warfare principles over the next four weeks. But I believe you're going to get some insight. I believe God, by the Holy Spirit, is going to give us some revelation to see some things about spiritual warfare that maybe we've always perceived or maybe we've kind of known but never been able to put our finger on. And how many of you understand that the moment you can kind of put your finger on something, you just launched into a whole new level? The moment you can identify, I heard a gentleman make this statement one time. He said, it's not enough to know what happened. We got to know why it happened. Yeah. Right? And sometimes you rebuke and you win, you rebuke the devil and you win the battle. But at the end of the day, you really don't know, you know what happened, you won, but you don't know how you won. And we want to talk about how we win. Amen. We want to talk about the weapons of our warfare and really just identifying, as I said, three simple things starting next Sunday. But today, let's dive into a couple of scriptures. First John chapter 5, and then we're going to look in First Peter chapter 5. Because I want us to hear from the Apostle John and the Apostle Peter, because I believe they give us a picture of where we stand right now in Christ. So listen to what the scripture says. It says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The Apostle John says this, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. Because the only way to overcome the world, the only way to win is to be born again by the Spirit of God, have your name written in the Lamb's book of life, be adopted or grafted into God's family, and know that you are a child of God. Amen? So we have to be born again to win. But look what the Apostle Peter says. So John says we are overcomers through our faith in Jesus, but Peter says something. Look at verse Eight of First Peter 5. He says, be sober and be vigilant. Literally, be alert, be aware, and be on guard. Look what he says. Because your adversary, that's a key word right there. Y-O-U-R, your adversary. How many know you have an adversary? Not just God's adversary. You have an adversary. Your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So the Apostle John says we are overcomers through faith in Jesus Christ. But the Apostle Peter says, hey guys, even though you're an overcomer through Christ, you've got to be alert and you've got to be aware because you've got an adversary because we are at war. And that's what we're going to recognize today as we kind of lay this foundation stone and understand what we're fighting for. So look at that first point on your outline. So the battle for your eternal soul has been won 
through the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you are born again, you win. Can I get an amen? If you're born again, you win, right? The battle for your eternal soul has already been won. Nothing else has to happen for you to be saved, set free, made whole, and spend eternity in heaven with God other than you to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. If you've been born again, you win. I want to just challenge you with a thought. How many of you remember uh, in, the, in the book of Genesis, the very beginning, right? Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember that in the Garden of Eden, there were two trees? Y'all remember that? There were two trees in the Garden of Eden. There was a tree of the knowledge. There was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was the tree of life. And Satan deceives Adam and Eve into eating from the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because as humans, we think that knowledge is power, right? And how many know knowledge is power? But how many of you know life trumps knowledge? Come on, somebody. So there were two trees. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible says because they disobeyed, disobeyed God, they sinned. Sin entered the world. All of us became sinners because of Adam's sin. We were born sinners, separated spiritually from God. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that God drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. He set an angel to guard the tree of life. Listen to this. Least they should eat of it and never die. So I want you to think about something. God, after Adam and Eve sinned, God drove them out of the Garden of Eden. And then he set a guard over the tree of life because God said, least they eat of it and live forever and never die. Let me tell you the worst thing that could happen for you. The worst thing that could happen to you is that you would live forever on planet earth that is now cursed by sin. God did Adam and Eve and me and you a favor when he separated us from that tree of life in the garden. God knew that if Adam and Eve in their sinful condition ate of the tree of life, they would live forever. Think about this. Perpetual, continual sorrow. Perpetual, continual pain. Perpetual, continual disappointment. Perpetual, continual uh, grieving, sorrow. Bitterness, rejection, resentment, betrayal, sickness, fatigue, pain, agony, heartache, heartbreak. That's what God saved us from. When he drove them out of the Garden of Eden, God did them a favor, and me and you too. By not allowing them to eat of the tree of the not to not allow them to eat of the tree of life in their sinful condition. So Jesus came. Can I get an amen? And Jesus came and he became the tree of life so that whoever eats his flesh and drinks his blood will never die. Can I get an amen from somebody today? We just celebrated the fact that Jesus is the tree that gives us eternal life. And now the way to God has been sealed and settled through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if I'm born again, I'm going to win. Right? I am going to win. Last year I heard a gentleman, he was a pastor and a minister, and he was being interviewed, and he was in the last stages of his life. He had, he had been diagnosed with cancer. They had given him six months to live, and I believe it was about three months into this diagnosis. He was believing God for his healing and believing God for his, for, for his restoration, for a miracle, but he was physically deteriorating. And when he got that death sentence of six months, he did something very interesting. He decided to launch a new ministry. 
And he spent the last days of his life not just surrounded by his family, but establishing a new ministry that was going to continue to reach people beyond his life. And as the gentleman was interviewing him, he asked him a question. He said, he said I've known you uh, for about 40 years. He said, and ever since I've known you, you've, you've been driven with this desire to tell people about Jesus. What is it that compels you to share the story of the gospel? And he said, now you are at the end of your life when most people will be trying to live it up for the last six months of their life. And you're pouring your life out, working harder now than you've ever worked before to reach people with the gospel. Why? And the guy said this. He said, well, about 40 years ago, he said, I got a simple revelation. He said, I realize that every person, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every person at the end of their life is going to be a winner or a loser based on where they spend eternity. He said, if you go to heaven and you get there by the skin of your teeth, you're going to be a winner. He said, but if you go to hell, you're going to be a loser forever and ever and ever. And he said, that one thought, that one thought, he said, I can't escape it. He said, the idea that every person that I meet, that every individual that I drive by, Every, every person on social media, every individual running up and down the highway, every person in my way at the store <laughs> is going to one day be a winner or a loser based on one thing, and that is where they spend eternity. And to think that I know the answer to the question, that I know the solution to their problem, that I know the way, the truth, and the life, and his name is Jesus. He said, I cannot imagine doing anything but giving my life to help more people become winners and less people be losers by simply sharing the good news of the gospel. He said, I can't make them accept it. I can't make them respond to it. He said, but I thought, how, 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 what, a, what an amazing opportunity God has given me that I can help people be winners for life by simply sharing the good news that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, it's changed my life forever. So if you're here today and you've been born again, guess what? You win. And if you've never been born again, before we leave here today, you're going to have an opportunity. If you're watching online and you've never been born again, you're going to have an opportunity today to be born again. Amen? Well, let's look at the next, the, the next part of that first statement there. So the battle for your eternal soul has been won through the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you're born again, you win. However, listen to this, the battle for your life happens every day because we are at war. John said... If you believe in Christ, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We are overcomers. We are born again, and we win. But we are at war. And there is a war for your daily life, right? There is a war for your daily life. So however, think about this, however, the battle for your life happens every day because we are at war. And I want you to see something today. I want you to recognize that Satan, Satan not only wants to destroy and devour your life, and, and, and let's just be honest, if we could think about our lives, many of us could probably look back over our lives, and we could probably with heavy hearts say, Satan has devoured some days, some weeks, and maybe some years. Maybe there has been some seasons in your life where Satan devoured your life, where you were not fruitful. You are not faithful. As a matter of fact, maybe you were selfish, self-centered, and self-focused, and maybe you were bound by sin, and you couldn't even look up. Unfortunately, we recognize Satan loves to devour 
our lives. But I want you to hear something even bigger than that. Not only does he want to devour your life, he wants to devour your fruit. He wants to devour the fruit of your field so that you become a barren soul that does not reproduce the life of God in other people. Look at that next point. I think it's already on the screen right there. Your daily life not only determines your eternal reward. How many know that one day you're going to stand before God? And if you're born again, you're going to win. So guess what? You're not going to have to worry about it. You're going to go to heaven because going to heaven is not based on your works. Going to heaven is based on your faith and the finished work of Jesus Christ. But every Christian is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to give an account for our lives. See, your daily life determines your eternal reward. It's what you do and what you say and how you act and how you live that determines the eternal reward you're going to receive when you get to heaven. And the Bible says this. The Bible says that on that day of judgment for Christians, when our works are being tried, the Bible says they will be tried by fire. And those things that are silver, gold, or precious stone, those things that have eternal value, those things you did in obedience to God, those things you did that pleased God, those things you did because the Lord prompted you or led you or told us by His Word to live your life that way, you're going to receive an eternal reward that's going to last forever. And those works that were selfish and carnal and fleshly and sinful, the Bible says those works are going to be consumed by fire and we're going to suffer loss as we watch them be consumed, but we ourselves are going to be saved by fire and I got just a little revelation this week on that thought I thought Lord that seems like a just seems like an overwhelming situation I said to see our good works and be rewarded that's a wonderful thing to see our sinful or even our carnal works be consumed and the Lord said this to me he said Keith he said the reason I'm consuming the carnality is because I am purifying you for eternity I'm purifying you for eternity so that only those things that remain will last forever. Amen? So your daily life not only determines your eternal reward, but it also determines the fruit of your field. Let me define it for you. Here it is. The fruit of your field is your influence and your impact on other people. Your influence and your impact on other people because it's not enough for you to enjoy your life. Come on, somebody. Joyce Myers has got a pretty good thing going on. But how many of you know it's not just about enjoying your life, it's about living your life in such a way that your life influences other people. God wants you to bear fruit. Jesus said, John 15, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. God wants your life to be a fruitful field that reproduces the life of God in other people. Satan would love for you to live in your Christian bubble. And be a self-centered Christian. Now let me just say this real quickly. When you say self-centered Christian, those two words don't even go together. Because Christianity is about dying to self. That is how Jesus defined what it means to follow him. But unfortunately, we all know we have selfish moments. And we have all been, maybe, and we've definitely seen selfish Christians who live in their little Christian bubble who just want to live their life and enjoy every moment and soak up every blessing and be rich and healthy and happy until Jesus takes me home. Yeah. And don't mess with my bubble. That is a perverted 
Americanized image of Jesus and Christianity. That is not the gospel. Yes, we get to enjoy our lives. Yes, there is a bubble of faith that you get to walk in and live in where the blessing and favor and goodness of God flows. But you are not intended to be an isolated individual. You are intended to be a fruitful field that reproduces the life of God in other people. And what I really felt like the Holy Spirit said today, He said, Keith, I want you and everybody at Liberty Church to understand we are fighting for our field. That field of influence. That field of impact where we make a difference in other people's lives. Now we're about to read 2 Samuel 23. But before we do, let me just talk about it a minute. 2 Samuel 23, we're going to read about one of David's mighty men. And I love this story because it gives us a picture of what I think in the natural spiritual warfare really kind of looks like. And it's important to recognize something. As I was studying, preparing, the Holy Spirit said something to me. He said, Keith, do you realize that not every day is a battle, but every day you are at war? Not every day is a battle, but every day you are at war. And let's think about our lives for just a minute. I think everybody here could probably agree with me. Most days are kind of normal. <laughs> Most days, I mean, sometimes we're just enjoying our family. Sometimes we're just working our job. Sometimes we're taking a vacation. And most days are kind of normal days. Every day is not a battle. But some days, all hell breaks loose. You know what I'm talking about? And you don't have to tell somebody when they're in a battle. They know it. As a matter of fact, just watch their social media feed. Pray for me. Help me. Pray for me. Help me. Pray for me. Help me. I mean, they're blowing it up because they know I am in a battle. All hell has broken loose against my life, my family, my finances, my health, my wealth. And everything seemingly is under attack. And we all know when it rains, it pours. But the truth is, every day is not like that. Somebody say, praise the Lord. <laughs> Every day is not a battle, but every day we are at war. And I want you to hear this. Holy Spirit quickened my heart. He said, Keith, he said, I want, you to, I want you to recognize something. I want you to recognize that you need to live with a warfare mentality. And then he said this. He said, I want you to look up the Civil War. So I looked up the Civil War. I'm not necessarily a great history buff, but I looked up the Civil War. And I recognized the Civil War lasted for about four years. And in that four-year span of time, I recognize something. Historians say that during that four-year battle, there were about 150 what they considered major or significant battles. There were skirmishes and there were other things that were going on. He said, but over about a four-year span, there were really about 150 significant battles. So I kind of did the math and I recognized something. I recognized that 10% of the time they were on the battlefield... And 90% of the time, they were in the camp preparing for the next battle. And the Lord said this. He said, Keith, if you don't have a warfare mentality, everybody knows when they're in the battle. That's a no-brainer. All hell's breaking loose. He said, but if you don't have a warfare mentality, when you're not in the battle, you won't act like you're in war. And if you don't act like you're at war, then you won't prepare for the next battle. 
And I'm convinced that many Christians lose the battle in their daily lives because they don't have a warfare mentality. They recognize when they're in the battle, but they forget that every day is not a battle, but every day you are at war. And if you're not on the battlefield, then you're in the camp preparing for the next battle. Now, in the camp preparing for the next battle looks like a lot of things. It looks like sometimes taking a nap and getting a full night's sleep. It looks like eating a good meal. It looks like camaraderie with the fellow soldiers. It looks like resting your mind and re-strategizing your thoughts. It looks like planning and strategizing and preparing and getting into order those things that are in your life in the camp so that when you step on the battlefield, you're ready to claim a victory. Amen. And so all of a sudden we begin to recognize that. We begin to recognize that it's that warfare mentality that helps me to prepare in the camp so that I am ready in the field. So let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. It says, And these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. And I skipped a couple verses because I couldn't say their names. I just thought I'd share that and help all you Bible readers out out there. You're not alone. I wasn't going to talk about those other guys anyway. Verse 11 is where I want to go. I can say Shammah. That's my guy right there. Verse 11. Look at verse 11. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herite. And the Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground. And y'all say those next three words with me. Full of lentils. Now lentils are beans. Let's say it again, full of lentils. So this was a fruitful field, full of the harvest. That's where the enemy attacks. He's attacking your field. He's attacking the fruit of your harvest. He's attacking your influence and your impact on other people. Because think about this, fruit production is one thing. It's reproduction. Fruit production is reproduction. When you bear fruit, that fruit tree is reproducing what is in itself. And Satan is attacking the fruit of your field. And the Bible says, So the people fled from the Philistines, but Shammah stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended the field, killed the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory look at that next point if Satan can't have your soul and if you're born again you win he can't amen if Satan can't have your eternal soul he wants to steal the fruit of your field demonic attacks in the life of a Christian are intended to produce barren lives literally unfruitful fields Satan is not concerned about you living in your Christian bubble Satan is concerned about you producing a fruitful field. When the influence and impact of your life begins to draw other people out of the darkness into the hope of the gospel, that scares the devil to death. And that's what he is fighting for. And that's what we are fighting for. He is fighting for your field full of harvest. He's attacking the field where there is fruit that will produce more fruit. 
And we have to recognize that. We have to recognize what we are in the middle of. We are at war. We have to station ourselves, defend our ground, and destroy the enemy. Why? Because every demonic defeat produces a spiritual victory. So let's talk about stationing ourselves. I love the fact that the Bible says that Shammah stationed himself. He positioned himself in the middle of the field. Let me tell you why. Because he was stationing himself for the greatest opportunity of victory. If he's fighting for the field, then in the middle of the field is his best place to stand to keep from being drugged off the field. And I felt like the Lord said to me, he said, Keith, way too many Christians are standing on the edge of the field wondering how close they can get to sin without sinning. And if you stand on the edge of the field, it doesn't take much to push you over the edge. I heard a story years ago about the king of England said he was hiring a new driver for his chariot. And he was interviewing three new drivers. And the first driver came in and the, and the king said, on the route that I take on a regular basis, there's, there's a cliff that we drive by. And the cliff is 150 feet down. He said, if my chariot goes over the cliff, I will die and you will die and everyone with us. He said, how will you handle that cliff? And the driver said, oh, king, you don't have anything to worry about. He says, I am such a good driver. I can get six inches from the edge of the cliff and we will never go over. Second guy comes in, he asks him the same question. He says, oh, king, you don't have anything to worry about. I'm such a good driver. You can, I can drive one inch from the edge of the cliff and we will never fall over. The third driver comes in. He says, oh, king, you don't have anything to worry about. I'm going to stay as far away from the cliff as I can. And the king said, you're hired. We've got to stop flirting with sin. We've got to stop playing with sin. It is pride. I want you to hear me. It is pride that says, it won't happen to me. I can, I can play with it. I, I, I won't get caught in pornography. I, I won't have an affair. I, I, I won't be addicted. I won't lose my family. I won't lose my job. I'm just going to flirt with sin. I'm just going to play with these things. I'm going to stand on the edge of my field, and I'm going to play with the things out here that the devil is using to entice me because you know what? I'm so good, I can just stay right here, and I'll be okay. You are deceiving yourself. Shammah positioned himself in the center of the field. Why? Because if they were going to drag him off the field, they were going to have a long battle ahead of them. I want to know that I am so stationed in Christ, so positioned in the Lord, so far away from the parameters of sin and ungodliness that if I fall down and get up and fall down and get up and fall down and get up, I'm still a long ways from the edge. Because we do fall down and we do get back up. A righteous man falls down seven times and arises eight. But if he's on the edge of the cliff, number one will get you. Number one will get you. So Shammah stationed himself. We've got to make a decision today that we are at war. Every day is not a battle, praise God. But we are at war. And it's what I do in the camp that prepares me for the battle. And I heard the Lord say four little simple things. He said, Keith, 
He said the battle for your joy, the battle for your peace, the battle for your health, and the battle for your wealth are significant. Because if you, listen to me, if you can't learn how to walk in peace in the camp, then you'll lose it in the battle. If you can't maintain your joy in the camp, then you'll lose it in the battle. If you can't stay true, if you can't walk in integrity in the camp when you're surrounded by fellow soldiers, then how are you going to keep your integrity in the field when you're confronted with a lying, deceiving enemy? See, the camp is the preparation ground. The camp is the grooming ground. So your, your, your everyday normal, normal life, right? It's, 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 it's learning. The, the Lord said this to me. He said, Keith, he called them insignificant victories. He said, Keith, it is the insignificant victories that win the war. It's the insignificant victories that win the war. I said, Lord, what do you mean by insignificant victories? He said, they're not insignificant because they're little. He said, they're insignificant because that's the way people look at them. Keeping your joy when you're at home with your family is an insignificant victory, but it's not insignificant. Because if I can't have joy when I'm at home with the people I love, how am I going to have joy when I'm on the battlefield surrounded by people that hate me? If I can't have joy on my job, then how am I going to have joy on the battlefield? If I can't have joy at Walmart when I'm waiting on them slow people to check out, how long does it take you to scan that thing? Come on. <laughs> Who help me, Jesus. Because let me, let me give you a clue. If I can't have joy driving down the road when somebody tells me I'm number one, how am I going to have joy in the battle? How am I going to have peace in the battle? If I can't maintain my integrity in the normal things of life called the camp, how am I going to maintain my integrity on the battlefield when the bullets are flying and I might be standing all alone? See, it, it is the grooming ground of our life. And, and here's, here's, here's two thoughts I want to give you, and we're going, we're going to move on. Two thoughts is one is... Number one, the camp is, is, is filled with people, right? There's fellow soldiers in the camp. And according to Ephesians 6, people are not your enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So people are not my enemy, number one. Number two, the devil will use people to attack you. So your family's not your enemy, but sometimes your family will create the greatest attack. Your job is not your enemy, but sometimes on the job, your coworkers will create the greatest attack. Walmart's not the enemy, but sometimes that big old slow people in line becomes the enemy. Not really. They're never the enemy. They're just slow. Here, here's the realization. The realization is is that if I, don't, if I am not groomed and prepared as I deal with everyday normal life, the people in my life, if I don't prepare just to deal with people, how many know that fusses and fights and 
disagreements in a family is kind of normal. Everybody doesn't see the world like you see it. Husbands and wives are pink and blue, and blue is wonderful and pink is weird. I mean, pink, pink is wonderful. And we just don't see everything alike, right? It's different. And that's normal. So I can't let my pink wife steal my joy. And she can't let her blue husband steal her joy. We can't let our pink and blue kids. We can't let the pink and blue co-workers. We can't let the pink and blue people at Walmart that are totally, uniquely formed and fashioned in the image of God created to be like Him and for Him. We can't allow people to steal our joy. It is that insignificant victory that I gain in the camp with the people that are my allies that I begin to strengthen my fortitude and my ability to stand strong on the battle. See, I'm just convinced that Shammah was probably one of those guys in the camp that just knew what he believed in and knew what he stood for and nobody could change his mind. And when the enemy tried to take their land, he said, not today, devil. Because it's the preparation in the camp that gives us the victory on the battlefield. Amen? So let's look at one more scripture here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. The Apostle Paul, this is a great scripture. The Apostle Paul is encouraging, bragging, literally bragging on the Thessalonian believers because of their example of faith. Look what he says, verse 6. So you received the message, the gospel, the message of the gospel with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. And in this way you imitated both us and the Lord. So look what he says. He said the message of the gospel came to the Thessalonians. They received that message. And not only did they receive the message, but they actually maintained their joy in the midst of severe suffering. They, they received it and then they stood in it. And they refused to let their joy, their peace, their blessing in God, their faith in Christ to be shifted, shattered, or removed because of the suffering and persecution that they were enduring. And then look what Paul says about that. He says, because you held on to your joy in spite of severe suffering, look what he says, you have become an example. You've become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord, listen to this, is ringing out from you to people everywhere beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. Their example of faith. Their integrity to maintain their joy created such an example, the Bible says, that it spread out to the other regions around them. And Paul said this. Paul said, your example has the word of God ringing out beyond the borders of your own community. And this is what he says. And everywhere we go, 
We don't even get to tell them about your faith. They tell us about your faith because they've already heard what God is doing in you. That's the kind of life we need to live. That our life would be such an example of faith in the camp that out in the field, the Word of God rings. God's Word rings out so clearly that before we ever get there, the Word of our faith is already spoken. And now people are telling us about our faith instead of us telling them about our faith. Samantha and I had an opportunity this past week. We went and, and got a little uh, high-dollar tea and protein shake. It was really good. And uh, we were in the line there waiting to get our order. A couple ladies in front of us. And, and I just started talking to them. And I, I said, where, where do you ladies go to church? And they said, oh, we, we don't go to church. We don't like church. I said, oh, I said, do you like Jesus? Oh, yeah, we like Jesus. I said, that's awesome. I said, we do too, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> Then, 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 then they begin to tell me, they said, well, you know, we, we, we don't like anybody shoving, shoving the gospel or shoving the message down our throat. I said, man, I said, you'd love Liberty Church. I said, we, we don't try to shove the gospel down anybody's throat. I said, we love people enough to try to help and equip them to live the life God's called them to live. And then they begin to tell me, well, I'm Baptist and my husband's Catholic. And the other lady said, well, I'm Presbyterian. My husband's Episcopalian. I said, that's awesome. Liberty Church is an interdenominational church. Y'all would all fit right in. And then the lady said, now, where, where do y'all go to church? I said, Liberty Church. And then she said this. She said, oh, yeah, I've heard about y'all's church. Don't y'all do that food bank? Don't y'all do outreach in the community and help people? Y'all have got a good church. I said, yeah, we do. You ought to come and make it better. Because the word of our example goes further than the word of our mouth could ever go. I want you to look at this last point. I'm going to drive a message home to you. I want you to hear this today. This last point is worth the price of admission today. You have a field of influence. It's called your Fran. I, I shared this little Fran phrase with you several months ago. If you don't remember it, here it is. The word Fran represents your family, your relatives, your associates, and your neighbors. You have a field of influence. It's called your Fran, your friends, your relatives, your associates, and your neighbors. And we're not fighting, guys, for temporal prizes. We are fighting for eternal souls. And as I was praying just this morning, the Lord said this to me. He said, Keith, he said, do you realize that every time Liberty Church does an outreach event or does an evangelistic event, he said, what you're doing is you're building bridges, right? We're trying to build a bridge into the community so we can reach people that we have not yet reached. We can connect with people that we do not know. We can share the gospel with people that maybe have never heard the gospel. He said, Keith, that's an amazing thing. You need to, Liberty Church needs to keep building bridges because that's how you reach your community. But then he said this. He said, but don't forget. Remind the people this morning. Don't forget that you don't have to build a bridge to reach your friend. You have a field of influence. Your friends, your relatives, your associates, that's the people you work with, and your neighbors. You have a field of influence, and you don't have to build a bridge. This is what he said, because you already have private access into their lives. They're your friends. 
They're your relatives. They're your associates. You work with them 40 hours a week. They're your neighbors. You drive by their house every day going home. You have a field of influence. And then he said this to me this morning. He said, Keith, he said, your words, listen, your words have the least amount of power in your field of influence. Your words have the least amount of power among your friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. Jesus actually confirmed that. Do you remember what Jesus said? A prophet was that was without honor except in his own hometown. His friends, families, relatives, associates, and neighbors rejected the message of Jesus. And he could do few mighty miracles there. And you might say, well, Pastor Keith, that sounds like I need to get out of my field and get in somebody else's field. Yeah, that's why we build bridges, and that's why we get to cross-pollinate. And that's why sometimes I plant in your field, and you plant in my field, and I plant in your field, and you plant in my field, and we're reaching into each other's fields. But don't forget your field. But listen, here's what you've got to know about your field. Your friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors, they are the least likely to hear your words. But your example... They are up close and personal. They know the real you. Not the church Sunday morning you. Not the go to work for my boss you. Not even I'm in the Walmart you. They know the real you. And your example of faith, listen to this. They won't hear your words. But you know what Paul said about the Thessalonians? He says because of your example. The Word of God, not your Word, but the Word of God is now ringing out. It's ringing out. And the key, the key, listen to me, the key to reaching your, your, your field of influence, your friend, is your example. It is that integrity. It's when you're the same person at church as you are at home. It's when you're the same person on the job as you are in Walmart. It's when you're the same person when you're on vacation and when you're not. It's when you're the same person on social media as you are in private. It is the integrity and the example of faith that rings out. And they may not listen to your words, but God's word will ring out into their lives through your example. Because your life will speak so loudly, they won't be able to hear your words. But they'll hear God's. That's how we reach our field. And that's why your daily life matters. It's that daily example that you set to the people, friends, relatives, associates, neighbors, that know you the best, that see you at your worst. Because we all have worst moments. But it's the example of your faith among those people that causes God's word to ring out. And here's the reality. They can argue your words, but they can't argue your life. When they see the same joy that you show in church on Sunday morning in your home on Friday night, they know it's real. When they see the integrity and consistency of your faith, your love, your words, your actions in the daily life that you live, they, they cannot argue the reality that you are who you say you are and you are who you are because you declare it's Jesus Christ in you. And that's what we're fighting for. 
See, we, we've kind of romanticized building bridges. It's kind of exciting to go to people that don't know you. <laughs> and it's exciting because they don't know me and they didn't hear me cuss last night. And they didn't hear me scream at the kids. And they didn't see how I mismanaged my money for the last six months. And now I'm struggling just to pay my own water bill because I've been wasting money on frivolous things. And they don't know that about me. So it's kind of exciting to get on a bridge and cross over into somebody else's field. And we need to do that. But don't forget your field. Fight for your field. One last quote I want to share with you. I read this this past week. A gentleman made this statement. He said, a true soldier, a true soldier doesn't fight because he hates his enemy. He doesn't fight because he hates the enemy that's in front of him. He fights because he loves the people that are around him. That's what we're fighting for, guys. If you're saved and you're born again and you win, you're going to go to heaven. But we're fighting for that field. We're fighting for our friends, our relatives, our associates, our neighbors. And think about this. If I win my field, and Ronald wins his field, and Jerry wins his field, and Vicki wins her field, it won't be long. We'll win the world. And we can all say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's bow our heads today. Maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online, and maybe you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're not born again to win. You know right now that if you were to die, you are not right with God. But today is your day. Amen. Today is your day. And this entire message was not only intended to challenge the church, but it was also intended to open a door of opportunity for you today to accept Jesus. If you've never been born again, then you won't win. You'll lose forever. And that's not the will of God. And that's not the heart of God. So if you're here today in person or you're watching online, and you say, today, Pastor Keith, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again on the third day. And I want to surrender my life to him. I want to follow him and accept the gift of eternal life. I want to be born again as a new creation in Christ. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand. Just all over the building today, just slip your hand up. If you're watching online, just hit that little hand emoji or just say, I'm raising my hand. Right now, today is the day of salvation. If you're born again, you win. If you're not, you're going to lose forever. And you will spend eternity separated from a God who loves you. Not because it was His will, but because it was your choice. So today, if you want to be born again, just raise your hand. We're about to pray together with every person that's raised their hand. In person and online, we love you guys. Let's say this together. I want you just to repeat it out loud. Everybody in the building, say it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I confess I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is the Lord and Savior. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and life. I want to be born again. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. If you prayed that prayer, then God heard you and he met you. If you prayed it online, let us know you prayed that prayer today. We want to follow up with you and help you take those next steps.